She may go to church with you. I love it. Stay positive. You know, during this entire series, we've been trying to think about our thinking. We've been attempting to combat the, the lies of this world with the truth of God's word. And you know, one of the greatest lies that steals our joy and our hope and our optimism is this lie or the mindset of a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset has this idea. There is never enough, right? And what I do have, I will eventually lose. And if you have that struggle, the challenge is you're always living in the world of what ifs. What if this happens? What if this goes away? And what if this happens and this happens and on and on it goes? This idea of a scarcity mindset probably could be seen nowhere clearer than those that lived during the 1930s. Think about that generation. They experienced the Great Depression. That was my grandparents. Not only did they experience the Great Depression while living in Kansas, while living in Kansas, they also experienced the Dust Bowl that came through. The Great Depression that came through, the average income for the average American was cut by 40%. They were living on 40% during that time. $1 billion was lost in banks that were closed. They weren't insured. Literally a billion dollars were lost out of people's lives. Uh, crops were decimated by the dust storm that came through. 300,000 companies closed, and one out of four Americans had no work during that time. That was my grandparents when the Dust Bowl hit Kansas, they lost everything on their farm. And like 200,000 Midwesterners, they packed up what little was left. They left the farm, left all the things that were gone, and headed west to try to maybe start a new life or maybe a hope and a future that could come as they go. In fact, my grandmother shares stories about when the dust storm was there that it was so bad that when they set the table, they would always turn the cup upside down and the plates upside down because she said the dust was so bad, by the time we went to serve the food, there was a layer of dust over everything. In fact, when she washed the dishes afterwards and put them back in the cupboards, she always placed them open side down. Here's what's interesting. My mother does the exact same thing. As a child, I remember emptying the dishwasher and you put the cup uh, open side up on the counters. Weird thing is, I'm the first generation in my family who actually puts the cups in the, uh, in the counters. My wife said, when did you ever empty the dishwasher? Remember that one time I did. Uh, that one time I did, when I put them back into the cupboards, I put them up here. I look at my, uh, my daughter-in-laws. When they empty things and put them up in the cupboards, they put them up here. Here's an interesting thing. The danger of a scarcity mindset is that it can become permanent and it can become generational. My mother set her cups in the cupboard this way, even though she never experienced anything from the dust storm. But the misthought and the lie had set in that we've got to protect things, and so she even set it in that way. As we think about this idea of a scarcity mindset, I, I want to take a few moments this, today and really talk about that because it is the challenge. If we're not careful, it becomes permanent and it becomes generational, verbally or unverbally. We communicate to those in our spheres of influence scarcity and fear and the great what-ifs. How we think about what I'm going to share with you today, why I think it's so important for us, is it's a truth not only for you and I in the present, it is a generational truth that will carry on beyond us. And so let's define it. Scarcity mindset simply says this, there is not enough. It's the fear. There is not enough. And probably the greatest indicator of how you think about this area of scarcity or abundance is honestly how you think about this issue of money, right? Either mindset of scarcity or abundance plays out in your mind long before it ever plays out in your wallet. 
your wallet is simply a reflection of what you're thinking. I love the way the prophet Haggai said it. He said it way back in the Old Testament. Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, he says this. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. You ever felt that way? I mean, I'm feeling good on the 1st, and I'm feeling good on the 15th. But by the next week, it's like these pockets. It's like, you need some, and you need some. And like it's empty pockets as we go. I love the way Haggai says it. The challenge is this. If we begin to live in a scarcity mindset, it becomes defeating. And it limits us and hinders us. Let, let me give you a, a thought on this. The scarcity cycle that we're going to talk about starts with a, a presupposition that's so critical. And it's simply this. That God supplies. All right, we're going to start with that. That God is the author and the provider of all that we have, even in the area of our wealth. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, and he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers as it is on this day. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Psalms chapter 50, uh, verse 9 says this. But I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine, says the Lord, and I own a cattle on a thousand hills. That God is the one who provides our wealth, right? That he is the source. Now, when we have a scarcity mindset, I don't have enough, I'm gonna lose what I have, right? The what ifs. Here's what gets into our mind with the cycle. It starts this way. We begin to think this way. We consume... And after we consume, we lack. And when we lack things, we become fearful. And here's an interesting thing about us. When we are fearful, we then consume more, thinking that if I just had something, I would have a sense of security. But we consume, we lack, and we fear. In case you don't believe this cycle to be true, remember just a few months ago when this was the picture at about every store you went to? Empty toilet paper roll, things like that. Somehow, in our minds... We feared for a respiratory disease and thought if we could consume enough toilet paper, everything's going to be okay, right? We were in the crazy cycle around and around it goes as we go. So here's the question. How do we avoid this cycle, right? How do we protect our hearts from the loss of joy and the loss of hope and the loss of optimism that does await that while still living in the real world, right? We still live in a real world where the challenges and the struggles come. And like Haggai, there are things that demand our resources. So how is the balance that we do that? Well, in order to help us think about that today, I want to take us back to the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. If you've got your phones, fire them up to lexcity.info. All the sermon notes are there that you can follow along with us, whether you're here or at home. We're glad you're with us this morning. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 1 says this. The day the widow of the member of the group of prophets came to Elisha, and she cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Just to give you a little context of what's happening here. The king of Israel at this time is not a godly king. In fact, he's leading the nation of Israel into worshiping idols. And so this widow is saying, my husband, Elisha, he worked for you at the temple. I'm one of the last few people that believe that God is the God, Yahweh, the one true God. And yet in this moment, I feel all alone. 
fact, my husband has died and I've got bills to pay and my debt is too great and the creditor is coming and knocking on my door and he's gonna take my two sons and put them in slavery until they can repay the debt. Now for the creditor, it's crazy. In Mosaic law, he was not out of line. Mosaic law said this, if you owed a debt and you can't pay the debt, that creditor could come to your home, take your children, put them into slavery until they had paid off their debt, then he would release them. So you get the sense of desperation and fear that this widow's living in, my husband's gone. I owe what I can't pay and my two sons are about to be taken away from me. So continue on, 2 Kings chapter four, verse two says this, what can I do to help you, Elisha says. She says, tell me what you do have in the house. And she replies, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Your words always reveal your heart, right? The abundance mindset focuses on what you have. The scarcity mindset focuses on what you lack. So her words give evidence of what's going on in her heart. Elisha wants to identify what she possesses. And we find the widow, she's on the other side. She's immobilized in fear for what she lacks. Now before we judge her too quickly, (laughs) when you're in a moment of crisis, what question do you ask? What do I have? Or what do I lack? So your words give evidence of what's resonating in your heart. So Elisha now is going to begin to set the stage. It's a pretty amazing story. You're going to love it. Begins to set the stage for God to show up in this widow's life. He's going to set the stage in such a way that this widow will never again think about the provisions of God in the same way. He's going to set it up in such a way that she will never wonder where wealth comes from and who provides it in such a powerful way. And her faith muscle, we're going to see in just a moment, is going to be stretched like never before. And her faith is going to be emboldened. And the faith that she is now emboldened in, she's going to pass on to the next generation of her sons. And we're going to see a generational thing. And her sons are going to forever change after this moment. Her sons are going to learn a valuable lesson. That the issue is not the number of flask that you have. The issue is who is the one who provides the oil that fills the flask. So this is the stage where Elisha starts. Three principles I want to give you today as we think about provision. We'll jump into the story. Number one is simply this. Don't dismiss what you have. Don't dismiss what you have. Here's the widow. When asked, what do you have? She says, I've got nothing. There's nothing here. Reality, she had something. It was small, but she had something. She had a flask full of olive oil, maybe enough just to put on a salad, but it was something. And she's going to quickly see that a single flask in the hands of a loving and generous God can do absolutely amazing things. Here's my encouragement for you today. Don't limit God with your preconceived limitations. See, some of you, you've already looked at your life and said, I got nothing, I don't have this, I don't have that, I'm missing this, I got this, this is my background, this is my challenge. You've already limited God with your preconceived limitations. Can I encourage you? Number one, don't dismiss what you have. Number two, God often uses extravagant things, and he does extravagant things through what seems insignificant. All right? That's how God loves to work. Farmers understand this. Farmers get a little seed, right? And they don't look at that little seed and say, man, this little seed is insignificant. Because a farmer understands this that this little seed will produce something extraordinary. If they will plant it well, expect the blessings of God to be on it, it will produce an extravagant harvest. They never diminish the little seed because everything begins there. So we go back, let's reset the story, right? The holy man, Elisha, has come to the home of the widow. 
She's overwhelmed. She's financially upside down, all right? The creditor, the creditor is coming to knock on the door to collect a debt she cannot pay, and as a result, he's gonna take her two sons and put them, put them in slavery until the time. She feels diminished and defeated and hopeless. The beauty is this. At times when you feel diminished and depleted is the perfect opportunity for God to show up in your life. Some of you today, you may not be down to your last flask of oil, but you feel a little defeated, diminished, upside down, overwhelmed. And I'm gonna tell you, friends, today is the day and the moment that God can show up. The question is this. In those moments, are you gripping your hands tightly? Or are you willing to open your hands and trust God in the moment? God, I don't have much. <laughs> it's one flask. But God, I'm gonna trust you in, in this moment. Will you trust him with that? The story goes on, verse three. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. Principle number three, God's abundance follows your faith. God's abundance follows your faith. Elisha's giving her, whew, this is a big challenge. This is gonna be stretching. This is gonna be challenging. I want you to take your, your little last flask of oil and, and I want you to pour it all in, into this jar. Now listen, can you imagine this moment for the, for the widow? This is like, there's no hedging your bets here. This is all she has. It's, it's one little flask, it's one little bit of oil that she has left. And she's gotta be willing to, to risk it, Right? Prophet says, listen, I want you to take this and I want you to pour it. And she's like, this is everything though. This is my family, right? This is my future. These are all the things that I have. How, how can I do that? Can you imagine? And she gets that and she's probably just holding it and just like, oh, can I really do this, right? All right. So she takes it and she pours it into the jar and shakes it out and this is all she has. Now, again, it's a big faith moment that she has and now what do I do, Lord? It's all here. And funny thing happened. She looks, Elisha, I'm sorry. I, I thought I had poured it all out. Um, let me take my next jar. So she says, well, there's a little left. So she takes that and she pours it all out and overflows and it empties out. And look, look what the scripture says. She continues on. So she did as she was told and her sons kept bringing in jars and she would fill one right after another. Here's this wonderful little moment. Her sons keep bringing in jars to the neighbors and everywhere else that she comes. And she's like, well, I don't know what I'm, how to do this, but Elisha, you won't believe this. There's a little bit more oil back in here. And so she empties it all out once again. And all of a sudden she starts looking and begin to realize kind of what's happening as we go. And she kind of gets a little bit excited. You ever had those moments when you had a great need and you prayed for God to meet your need and God shows up in a miraculous way? You got that refund check that you didn't think you were ever going to get or you had a, a friend or a, a somebody at church or a family member who all of a sudden blessed you and all of a sudden there's just a little bit more that you didn't even know you had and you fill up the next flask as you go and you're back to this point. And scripture goes on to say in, in verse six, right? It seems like just this little thing but all of a sudden these things are getting full and in verse six, soon every container was full to the brim Bring me another jar, she says. Now she's just kind of getting a little bit cocky. You know, you got any other jars? She grabs, yeah, we got one more. So she's grabbing the jars and filling them up over and over once again, and they're overflowing, and you can just see the grin on her face, and then all of a sudden, says, bring me another one. Her son says, there aren't any more jars. We're all out. 
There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. This is what I love. Listen. God will provide all the resources needed to do his purpose and his will. And when his will and purpose was done, the oil stopped flowing. You see, this isn't a generosity uh, miracle that's, you know, like you sit on TV, listen, you give the church this amount of money and God's gonna keep blessing you so you'll just have extravagant wealth to do whatever you want. No, that's not the case where it is. This is the kind of miracle that says God will provide what is needed for his purposes, for his glory. And the great part about who God is, is God's a good God, so he not only gives you what you need, but he gives you enough to be generous after this. Can you imagine, here's the poor widow. She's not only got her own flask, but every other flask that's come in is filled up that she can be generous with those around. So then we go on to verse seven. So when she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on whatever is left over. See, this is the goodness and the generosity of God. God not only provided for her what she needed in that moment, but he provided her generosity for her future not just what she needed at, at that moment in time. The abundance mentality that says, God, I can trust you in a thing. And I find it so interesting in verse seven that she says that she had to go and get the holy man. Why is that? Can you imagine if Elisha was standing here in the room and, and the widow performs this amazing miracle? Who do you think would get the credit? Oh, the holy man's in the room. That must be why the miracle came. No, the Bible says she shut the door. He was all, she was all alone with her and her God. And God got to be her provider, that there was no question about who provided the miracle. It was God who provided the miracle. And I find it to be such a powerful and amazing thing. God loves to do extraordinary things through little things. That way only he can get the glory. And this is the context that we see our story with them. You see, it had been up to just the widow. Had, had she had this great business plan, I've, I've got this great business model. I'm gonna take my flask, I'm gonna empty it. And then somebody else will bring another one, I'll figure out, I'll empty it. If she, if she had been the, the architect of her business plan, she would have gotten the glory. But God says, no, I'm gonna take what's very, very little, that you can't explain it and do something extraordinary because when it's said and done, you'll understand that I'm your God and I care for you. And I want you to close the door and I want you to be with your, just your two boys because I want you to understand this is how personal my relationship is with you. I want to provide for you in a very intimate and special and powerful way. Listen, nothing wrong with a good business plan. Just make sure for my businessmen and women, just make sure you work God into the bottom line of the equation, right? The key on all these things, let's just work hard. Let God be the hero of your story. Let God be the one who takes ordinary things and turns them into extraordinary things for his glory. And that's the difference, right? There's such a difference between the way the world looks at money and the way God uses money to grow your faith. The issue was not the oil in the flask. The issue was how God could grow the faith of this widow in her time of need. And I think in terms of our context, right, no place could you see this truth lived out more clearly, really, than in the principle of the tithe or in our own giving, let me give you an example of the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 31, where we're taught this principle, 31, verse 4 through 5. In addition, he required the people in Jerusalem to bring a portion of their goods to the priests and the Levites so that they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. And when the people of Israel heard these requirements, they responded generously by bringing their first share, we call the first fruits of their grains, the new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of the fields. And they brought a large quantity, a tithe, of all they produced. 
Do you ever think about this? Why did God set up this idea of giving where God said a percentage rather than an amount, right? Why didn't God just say, here's the deal. Every follower of me must give $20,000 a year to their local church, right? Bring it to the storehouse, 20,000. If everybody brought 20,000, we could do a lot of amazing and crazy things, but here's the problem. That dollar amount would price out many people contributing and being a part of what God is doing. That dollar amount would, would price out many people from experiencing what it is to grow in your faith and have your own faith muscle stretched in such a powerful way. Here's the other problem. If we put a dollar amount, it creates a ritualistic box that I can check or not check. Oh, I gotta give this much? Check. I'm godly. I didn't give that much. I'm incapable of giving that much. I can't do that, and all of a sudden we're less than. So that's the challenge of a set amount. It creates a ritualistic routine that we do. And what it does is it connects wealth to faithfulness. In other words, only the wealthy can be faithful because only the wealthy can check the box. And I love the way God says that's not how we're doing this. We're going to do this by a percentage, right? I'm going to choose a percentage, a tithe, or 10% in the context of the Old Testament will be there. Because a percentage is not connected to wealth. A seven-year-old can tithe, and the CEO of our largest bank can tithe, right? It's not equal amounts, but it's equal sacrifice. Do you see the beauty of this and the power of it? And they both can experience the miraculous work of God turning their 10%, whether it's a large amount of 10% or a small amount of 10%, into amazing works for his glory. So for the little seven-year-old kid can take his allowance, he can give his 10%, and all of a sudden... God shows up in a miraculous way. It's the beauty of what it does. And again, it disconnects wealth and faithfulness to say it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. And it's a powerful thing regardless of our age and stage we are. And I'm so grateful that God set it up that way to meet the ministries of what God's called us to do in the context of us as a local church. Our church is no different than any other church. We never could make it if only a few people had to give a set dollar amount. We'd never be able to accomplish what God's called us to do. The beauty is it's just all of us being obedient with our flask of oil, whatever that would be. And in that obedience, God meets the needs of where we are in such a powerful way. We're reminded again that God uses the little things to make big things for his glory. The Bible gives us a story. That Second Chronicles, again, as I shared that, let's go on to verse 5 and hear how that story concludes. When the people of Israel heard these requirements, they responded generously by bringing the first share of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their fields. And they brought a large quantity, a tithe of all they produced. The people had moved to Judah from Israel, and the people of Judah themselves brought in tithes of their cattle, sheep, and goats, and a tithe of the things they had been dedicated to their Lord, their God. And they piled them up in great heaps. And they began piling them up late into the spring, and the heaps continued to grow until early autumn. And when Hezekiah and the officials came and saw the huge piles, they thanked the Lord and his people, Israel. Verse 9, Hezekiah asked, where did all of this come from? Hezekiah asked the priests and the Levites. And Azariah, the high priest of the family of Zadok, said, since the people began bringing their gifts to the Lord's temple, we have had enough to eat and plenty to share. The Lord has blessed his people and all this is left over. Listen, there's always enough resources in the house of God to do the ministry and vision that God has given us to do. If there's not enough resources, then one or two things are true, right? Either the people aren't being obedient with the wealth or the vision is not of God. 
Sometimes we get in trouble because the vision is not of God. It was a man-made vision that wasn't to be met by God's provision. Or we the people just need to be more obedient to fulfill the vision that God has for us there. Because when the vision is being met, the vases will be full and the oil will stop and the things that we have are taken care of. That God met the needs, but then I love this, he gave us enough in abundance, enough margin that we can be generous. I can imagine the widows, these people brought in all these little jars from all their neighbors and everything. At the end of the day, she's like, here, you take a jar back. And here, you take a jar back. And, you, and there was still enough for everybody to do the things that God had done. I'm always reminding the context of a church, right? The church is not a bank. We are not a bank at Lex City. We are a conduit between the blessings of God and the ministries to the people. In and out, in and out, what God has called us to do. For us as Lex City, I was reminded, I thought about that this week. Listen, we have all the resources within the family to accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish as a church. If each one of us will just be obedient with our little flask of oil, we'll have all the resources to do all the things that God has called us to do. We've got a building that we could pay off early. We've got pastors in India that we could support more pastors and send more missionaries in India. There are more children in Guatemala that we could sponsor. We've got an amazing Gen Z right here. Our children and our students, we could support and enhance what they're doing in greater, greater ways than we are doing today. Listen, the issue is not that we don't have enough. We've got vision to do whatever God provides and allows us to do. And there's more that we can do than what we're doing right now, but it just begins with you and I and our little flask of oil. Will we trust God in those things? Now, I share that with you today, and I'm confident that, that what I'm speaking and sharing to you today, that God will use that and God will bless it in your, in your life. And I'm confident that God will provide your needs if you'll give, let's use the, con- the, the concept of tithe. If you'll give back to the Lord the 10%, I'm confident that God will meet your needs with the 90% what God leaves for you to meet those needs. Why is that? Because the book of Philippians tells us, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me, here's the key, will supply all your needs. Now, don't miss this. God will supply all your needs, not all your greeds. He'll supply all your needs and not all your wants. But Philippians 4 says he promises to meet all of your needs. Why can I be confident that God will meet all of our needs? Because I know the source. Go back to the second part of the verse. That God will supply all my needs. Here's the source. From his riches and glorious riches which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, I'm so confident that God will meet all of your needs because he's gonna meet all the needs out of his glorious riches. And so when you give and trust, God just keeps filling you up. Why? Because the issue is not the number of flasks. The issue is the provider of the oil. And I know earlier that he holds the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that he is the possessor of all things, and so I can trust him with that in such a powerful way. Now listen, we could go on all day long. I can just keep filling up and keep bringing more jars because, again, the issue is not the jars. The issue is I know who provides the oil and the confidence that I have. Now that changes us from a scarcity cycle to a generosity cycle. Let me show you a little bit of difference. God supplies, we talked about that, generosity, and so it begins this way. We give, God multiplies, our faith grows. This is the widow, right? She poured that, fir- the, the first pour was the hardest. She poured the first pour. God multiplied it. Her faith grows, and so she continues to give at a greater level. As she gives, God multiplies it, and her faith grows, and the cycle changes, and she begins to stay positive in her thinking because she has the thinking of abundance rather than a thinking of scarcity that comes. 
As we close out our time, I thought about what to close and share with you today. I, I want to challenge you, and I want to help you put this, this truth into action, right? And we're not just hearers of the word, that we're, we're doers of the things that we do. And so I want to just challenge you with this today as we close out our time. I, I want to give you a 90-day challenge. A 90-day challenge of simply this, to take the next 90 days and ask you to consider, would you be willing to consider stretching your faith muscle, maybe in this area of your generosity and obedience in ways that you never have thought of before, and would you for the next 90 days be willing to take that step? So if you're here today and like, you've never actually given to the Lord, you've not done that consistently, maybe just here and there, but you never have, them, then my challenge for you is this that you would do what Malachi chapter three says. And Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says this. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, and here's the key I want you to take away. Put me to the test. It's the only time in scripture that God says, put me to the test. I want you to test me to see that I am not good in this area. So, if you've never done that, if you've never given and been a part of those things, I want to challenge you to put God to the test for the next 90 days. Say, God, I'm gonna pour out my flask and trust and see how you're gonna meet me in ways and meet my needs in ways that I've never, ever experienced before. That's a challenge for some of you. Some of you, you, you've done that, right? You've given, but it's probably, if you think about it, probably not to where it needs to be what Lord asked you to do on that. You, you've kind of poured your flask, but you've left a little bit of oil in because I, I, gotta, I gotta kinda hedge my bets. I gotta make sure it all works out. So I, I've, I've got a little bit, and I've, I've given what's comfortable, I've given what's convenient, but maybe I haven't been as obedient in that as I could. Then my challenge for you, right, is, is the first part of that verse, Malachi 3.10. It says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. So my challenge for you the next 90 days, would you consider bringing all that tithe. Say, God, <laughs> okay. The numbers don't seem to all make sense, but I'm gonna trust and see how 90 days that you're gonna show up and, and meet my needs in such a powerful way. And for some of you here today, listen, tithing and giving, this has been a spiritual discipline that's been true of your life, right? You, you're, you're the ones who love sermons like this because you're like, I've seen what it does in my life. I've seen the, the joy it's brought and the peace. So if that's you and you've been an obedient giver, then I would just challenge you, consider it in generosity, in these next 90 days? Would God uh, show up and just allow you to be generous in, in new and fresh ways in that time? And I share all that and why this is so important to me because this idea of avoiding the, the scarcity mindset, it, it, it's so important because it's not just an issue for you and for me, it, it's a generational impact teaching. It, you see, the, the sons of this widow, I, I'm sure went on to grow up to be men of great faith and men of great generosity because they saw at the darkest moment their mom had the faith to pour something. And when it seemed to make no sense, God showed up and there was generational impact into the lives of these two sons. So I share with you today, if you're a parent or a grandparent or really anybody of influence, see... This talk isn't about trying to figure out how to keep lights on. This is a talk about how do your faith muscles stretch and grow? How do we model for the next generation that the key is, listen, you don't have to turn the cup upside down anymore and put it on the cupboard. You can turn it upside right and, and just trust the Lord in these things. See, these are, these are 
issues of generosity, these are legacy issues. These are things that go long on before. I, I give because my parents modeled for me and talked to me about what it means to give toward the church and be generous towards missions. And do. I just grew up, this is how you do it. So as a young kid, it's 10, 10, 80. You know, tithe 10, save 10, live on 80. I, I just remember the piggy banks and all. So, it's so Tammy and I, we've taught our boys and they give. Why? Because they've understood, listen, the way to live life is not like this. The way to live life is this. And if you'll just be generous and obedient, then you allow God to bless in new and a fresh way. So I just challenge you today these are legacy issues. What are we teaching the next generation about how they place their cup? And I love the picture and I love the story of the widow who went from this and ended up like this and a life was changed. So can I challenge you today, consider, would you be willing to stretch your faith muscle? Would you be willing to open your hands and just say, God, this is all I got? But I learned when you take a little bit and you turn it into something extraordinary, only you get the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Hard topic, hard to talk about, hard to listen, hard to process. So I thank you. You give us the wonderful example of this widow who when everything was on the line, her future, her family, she shut the door cried out to her God to say, God, I need you to show up. And I trust you. So I'm going to take a little bit of oil and I'm going to pour it out. God, today, would you just encourage some that are in, even here this morning, hearing my voice. God, they feel upside down and discouraged and frustrated and overwhelmed. May just even the challenge of for the next 90 days, May they just have the courage to just turn their cup up and say, God, I'm just gonna try it your way and I need you to show up. And I need you to grow my faith and I need you to do miraculous things. And God, as a church family, help us to be reminded, God, we are simply a conduit to your blessing. And so as we receive, may we give for your glory. And so may you grow us and use us in a mighty way and we'll thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.